Hello, good to be here. Um, nice to see some familiar faces, some that I know very well, some that I know, I think, from the last time that I was here, and uh, some I'd like to get to know. <laughs> so um, I really li- I've been looking forward to this time with you to talk about a, a topic that is very close to my heart. Um, I began looking into this subject of restlessness and worry uh, first, really, when I came to the Buddhist teachings, but more thoroughly, more comprehensively in the last few years, because uh, it seemed to be one of those hindrances that just kind of got pushed in the background a bit. And I was beginning to notice through my meditation practice that really it constituted most of my waking state. You know, it, <laughs> it seemed like it, it was there, like it, it tenaciously, relentlessly, all of the time. And I, I sort of began, began to see that really at the heart of the Buddhist teachings, you know, we talk about the middle way, the middle path, sort of that, that sense. When, when you get all kinds of new understandings of what he's talking about with that, don't you, as the years go by with practice. But just seeing for myself that sense of trying to stay settled and rested in the center, you know, and beginning to notice how the mind is always going that way or it's going that way. And then the constant effort that we're practicing, like with mindfulness of the breath, trying to train the mind to keep coming back to the place of stillness, the place of rest. And really beginning to, be, to see that, you know, restlessness is this state that keeps pulling me out, keeps taking me someplace else, that has very much to do with the greed, the longing for things, very much to do with the pushing away, the trying to get away from things, that, that both of these states are quite restless and agitated states. You know, if you look at the, the, the nature of the mind in the moments when we're caught up in them, that's, that's the only word I can use to describe it. The mind is not at ease. There's no rest. There's no a settled, uh, easeful feeling. So um, just to take note that uh, the, the Pali word for this um, particular hindrance I think is very, very appropriate. It's got the feel of restlessness in it. It's uh, udacha kukucha. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I heard that word, like, you know, it, it, you can feel it. It, it actually, it, it's one of those, uh, is it, what is it, onomatopoeia or something? Yeah, it's got that feeling to it. And there is some speculation among the scholars that uh, this is actually what the Buddha was doing with this word. He is quite a humorous fellow. And um, he often played with words like this. So uh, this might well be one of the examples of, of um, his use of that, uh, that particular word play. So it actually means um, restlessness and worry, or sometimes it's translated as worry and flurry. And you might recognize it as the, the fourth uh, mental hindrance, you know, what the, that body of five states of mind that they get coined as the enemy, you know, which is unfortunate because they are, I don't think he's really saying these are the things that you need to smash and clobber. In fact, if you take that attitude towards them, you never get free of them. I think he's just really trying to get us to begin to recognize them and uh, uh, begin to um, get some kind of impartiality and relationship to them so that we can get free of them in a sort of the organic and natural way, not in the warrior uh, uh, battling kind of way. And one of the suttas um, in the Samyutta Nikaya, he uses some imagery that I just love to talk about the five hindrances. 
that each of these images gives such a feeling for it if you enter into it. Um, the first one, which is this state of longing or desire, he said is like um, colored water. And what he's using is the image of water um, that when we look into it, it's like we're trying to see our own reflection or we're trying to see what's at the bottom of it. So you sort of, you have this um, image of trying to see the truth or trying to see who we are. You know, if you can see that, get that feeling, looking into water, that's what you would try to do. And with um, longing or desire, he said, we can't, it's like, this is like a water that's filled with beautiful colors, like red and yellow and green. And it's because of the colors that we get all caught up in, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> this is lovely, blue, red, you know. And because of that, we can't see clearly. We can't see ourselves and we can't see the deeper truths. Or he said aversion is like um, a pot of boiling water. It's so agitated and hot, you know, it's just really fuming and steamy. We can't see ourselves. Uh, he said that sloth and torpor was like stagnant water, you know, water that's been sitting out in the swamps for ages. It's mucky and uh, mired. You can't see anything in it. And doubt, he said, was like muddy water. And this one, restlessness and worry, he said it was like a pot of water stirred by the wind, rippling, swirling, and producing waves. You feel that image? Uh, if a person with good eyesight were to examine his own facial reflection in it, he would neither know it nor see it as it really is. You get that image of, I think the image of wind is such a good one for restlessness. Isn't that what it feels like? It's like this agitated state. You can see uh, the effect of wind on the water, where the water is so stirred and ripply, or uh, just that agitated, swirled up image. You know, that's what the mind feels like when we're caught up in this state. And its manifestation can be quite gentle, really, you know, at, at one level, but it's still there and it's still restlessness. It might manifest, for instance, just as sort of like that drifty, unconcentrated state, which you may have seen <laughs> at one or two rare <laughs> instances <laughs> in your meditation practice. But, you know, that's how we get just sort of, uh, it, won't, it won't stay with one thing. And uh, it, it would just keep drifting and moving from one thing to another. Have you seen that? I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, but my, that's my whole, that, that's it. That's my whole meditation period. It's just moving from one thing to another. Um, or it can get so strong that it's like this agitated state that's like you just want to jump out of your skin. It's like a caged animal. And I can remember one time um, when I was meditating in, in my little shrine in Winston-Salem when I lived there, I sat to meditate and I just started thinking about all the things that I had to do. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, doing them. I was up out of the cushion and doing it all. <laughs> and then it was like a few minutes later, literally, where I said, what, was it? what am I doing? I was, I was meditating. You know, because you can get the feeling of how forceful this state can be. It's like the, the momentum that it carries, the sheer energy of it can actually get you right up out of your seat and doing things. You know, I, do, I mean, I don't even, don't even just think about the meditation cushion. Just think about daily life. How many times do you find yourself in, this, in that state where you go, uh, you don't even know how you got there, you know, let alone the thoughts or the ideas or 
things that were driving it. So I thought it would be good to, to give a little thought to um, uh, some ways that the Buddhist teachings help us with working with this state. And really, it really is a rich resource, the meditation practice in particular, but other aspects of the teachings are quite uh, rich in helping us understand how to get free of this state. So I want to look at a couple of things. Um, the, the first will be sort of just familiarizing ourselves with it, identifying it, naming it, learning that process of naming it when it's happening, and then to look at how you hold it. Like the, the, believe it or not, the emotional state, <laughs> the mood with which you receive yourself when you're in this state. It's very, very critical, very important aspect of getting free of it. And then, um, of course, just investigating it. Um, once you get into that state, you can begin to look into the state itself that's a little in a deeper way because there's some detachment uh, in the mind. You know, you can look at it, mm, like, you know, isn't this interesting? Let me see if I can find out about it. So, um, first of all, Let's look at just na- naming it or becoming familiar with it, identifying it. And, you know, for some of us, I mean, just sitting here in a room like this, you know, especially, you might say, well, I, th- I mean, that's kind of a silly point. <laughs> I, I think I know what restlessness is, or I know, I, I've certainly seen it enough. But I think that what we're getting at in this is something even, even more subtle. It's being able to know it to name it, to identify it when it's happening. You know, which is, that's a big tall order. Because what it calls for um, is snapping out of that state. Most of the time, we don't even know we're restless. We don't even know that this, it's, it's an agitation that's driving our mood or our mind state. And so this is an effort to just get some semblance of um, detachment uh, objectivity in relation to it. Can you feel that? It's so. You have to, you have to take that little sidestep outside of it to almost be able to look and go, oh, look at that. This is restlessness. It sounds so silly, but, but it, how often do we even look at it in that way? You know, in the, in the un- unawakened state, Buddha said that these states are particularly difficult, these five hindrances, because when they arise, the sheer force of them is such that we become them. You know, our experience of them as something other than who we are is just not known. You know, we believe everything about it. There really is something to be agitated about. Restlessness itself is really something that's going to solve what it is that I'm agitated about, <laughs> like this is really, this is a remedy, <laughs> this is, is going to work, <laughs> you know. So in the practice, uh, uh, our effort is to begin to, to recognize it and to confront it by naming it. So you can become aware of it even just in the sitting practice or throughout your daily life. It's this fussing and fidgeting this constant agitation, which often shows up in the body, and, and it's particularly hard on the body. Restlessness is particularly hard on the body, more than the other hindrances. It's like it, the channel of energy for it is through the nervous system. 
you know. And over time, you know, they they say that you can actually get caught in a state where the the nerves will quote unquote break down, which they don't really do, but. It's like the, too much electricity going through this, the, the system, the wiring, and uh, you know it will have an effect over time. A lot of us live live in this. A lot of people you may know people who just are really have a lot of this kind of agitation in, in their body. So I mean, even just as you're sitting here, you might have noticed it as sort of like you know, just checking to see w- what time it is and when that clock is. Uh, going to run out, when the bell's going to ring, just that subtle state of, of fussing, thinking about all the things that you need to do, you know, just consider what was going on during your meditation tonight. Where do you have to go? What do you have to do? Who do you have to be when you leave here? You know? Actually, you're here. <laughs> you're here all the time. You've been here. But it's like the mind doesn't know that. It's living over here somewhere, trying to get to, to what, what it is that, in the moment, we imagine to be more interesting or more important. You can notice it um, as sort of that compulsion to do, compulsion, obsession. This is restless energy. Um, I don't know about you, but I know when I clean the house, it's forget it, you know? <laughs> it's like you, you pick up one thing in this room and you know that it goes in this room, and so you go over to that room and then you start cleaning that room, and then you find something in there that has to go back to the kitchen and you bring it in there and then you start cleaning there. And I mean, eventually it all gets done. But, you know, it, it's sort of the way that it's getting done is just by following this um, restless, agitated mind, not really able to stay. Uh, uh, focused with one simple aspect of a task at a time. I've actually used cleaning house as a way to train my mind, just to stay with something. And it, it, you, you, you can start to feel like you're holding back on a thoroughbred horse or something. You know? <laughs> it's like, I, I know, I want to do it this way. You know? This agitated uh, energy uh, just doesn't, doesn't seem to want to get harnessed sometimes. And you see it in that sense of always being in a hurry. And uh, one, one time I noticed this, um, and this was, I, I did this every single time I got in the car. But I would go, like, just to run errands, maybe to the post office or the grocery store, or just coming back from someplace. And I noticed that uh, about a half a block before I got where I was going, I'd reach to unbuckle a suit belt. Do you know what I mean? It's like in my mind, I'm already there and getting ready to get out of the car. So I started to make a practice out of just managing that movement, that impulse, and just, oh, you know, and leave that seat belt hooked until the car is parked, the engine is turned off, and uh, I've got my purse, and I'm ready to get out the door. Then, then I cannot do the seatbelt. <laughs> you know, those kinds of little things in daily life can be tremendously helpful. And of course, the, one of the main things in daily life that is um, helpful in working with restlessness is just the sitting practice and the coming back to the breath. You know, I, I think peop- a lot of people can get the idea that the meditation practice is about being with the breath. And it's not about being with the breath. You know, it's a, it's a training. 
It's a training to get the mind to stay with one thing. It just happens to be the breath. But it's that, it's that movement out and the coming back that the meditation practice is all about. Just trying to train the mind to stay put and to be at ease, to rest, right? So, you know, if you have a daily meditation practice, that's one of the, the best um, tools that you have for working with this type of energy. So, um, really recognizing that the whole process of getting free has to do with cultivating a certain dispassion in relation to phenomenon that arise both in the body and in the mind. And that dispassion is, is something that is cultivated over time. It's not something that you, you hear an instruction and you just sit down and boom, there it is. And, and you all of a sudden can relate to everything with a, with a um, easeful state. It, it's something that develops and it starts with a certain detachment or objectivity. So this naming what's going on for you, right? tonight we're just talking about restlessness, but naming or identifying just what's happening right now is, is uh, critical. It's the foundation of developing that a detachment and objectivity that, that matures into the dispassion that one needs to, to really relate to life with equanimity. Can you feel that? It's like it doesn't, we don't care. It doesn't matter what arises. You're fine. You can deal with it. So just naming it to begin to, that process of disengaging. Um, the next thing, I mean, for want of a better word, I'm, I'm calling it sort of embracing the state, receiving it, allowing it, accepting that this arisen state has, is taking place, is occurring. And this, this can seem um, like a contradiction because one feels like, well, aren't I trying to get rid of the state? <laughs> you know, I thought we were trying to get free of the hindrances. We're trying to get free of them. And, and it is. We are trying to get free of them. But this is where the subtlety of the Buddhist teachings comes in. You know, the freedom that we experience through uh, practice, through um, sila and through the meditation practice, is, is one of uh, quite organic um, release that takes place over time. You know, if you can feel that. It's not something that happens um, out of trying to be a certain way. It's something that's sort of like the, uh, the outcome of practice. And it will happen all by itself. It is just a, a way that one has to trust the process of the meditation practice. So what we're trying to do is, is develop, in a way, a tone of being with what arises um, that is soft <coughs> and gentle and receptive. It occurred to me, um, after a number of years of meditation, that, that mindfulness that didn't, didn't have this soft quality to it wasn't mindfulness. You know, we talk about mindfulness and metta as if they're two different things, you know. <laughs> but really, metta 
kindness, that softness in our hearts imbues mindfulness. Mindfulness has to have that quality of, it, of acceptance or it, it's not really mindfulness. In a way, I, I guess what we're saying is we have to love these states to death. <laughs> you know, it's like that classic statement that, uh, you know, uh, war doesn't change things, only love can, you know. So you have to receive even our own states of mind, even our own states of mind, for them to get free. And this is a really interesting strategy, isn't it? I mean, it, it flies in the face of everything that we know as conventional ways of, of dealing with things. So most commonly, for instance, if you become aware of restlessness and worry, um, th- there's that tendency to, to either give into it or to hate it. You know, and this is the energies of, of, of greed and hatred at subtle levels operating. So the, the greed manifests here is like, okay, the mind is telling us that there's something to be agitated about, uh, and we, be, we believe it, we become it. Can you feel that? It's like, it's like you, you buy it, you buy into it, you consume that thought, and um, completely indulge in it. So it's like in that state, we actually think that this energy of agitation or worry is like no matter how many times you've seen worry and know that no amount of worry has ever solved anything. I mean, how many, how, how many times have we seen that? We all know that. <laughs> we all know that. And every time it comes up, or most times, we worry. That's this energy of indulging it, being caught in it, but really believing that this is a remedy. This is a, a useful response. Or we try to get rid of it, try to push it away. This is that energy of aversion. You know, we, we hate it and want to be free of it. And it just doesn't work. Uh, one of my teachers, Ajahn Suchita, says, if you hate it just even an eeny, weeny, teeny, <laughs> tiny bit, <laughs> you're actually conditioning its return. I can guarantee you, he says, if you hate it just that little bit, it'll be back. It's like, we're back. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> so um, our objective in, in practice is to, to open to it to receive it, to allow it. And this is a necessary first step. You know, at this level, it just uh, gets us beyond the contracted and and tight states of mind and heart in relation to the things that we think we are. At a deeper level, which I'll talk to in a little bit, it actually is 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 essential for us to have this state of heart before we can get into the deeper insights. Insight into the uh, suffering and permanent and selfless nature of things doesn't come if we're caught up in, either caught in the mind states or hating them. One has to develop a relationship with them that is loving and kind. Can you feel that? it's, It's so obvious when you reflect upon it a little bit. But in the moment when these states are happening, it's hard to remember. So that's why, you know, like 
reading about Dhamma and listening to Dhamma talks and reflecting in the way that we do when we come together at times like this is so important. Because then in those moments when the state's actually happening, you have that. <laughs> There's a resource for you to, to pull from your bag of tricks to, to help you, to give you some help in that moment. So um, examining it and investigating it, how do we do that? Like learning, learning about the state of restlessness and worry and seeing into it. Once you've developed this state of uh, detachment and dispassion, uh, we're really well positioned to begin to learn about it. Because if you can feel it, you're like, you're sitting back more on your cushion. You're a little more relaxed. Oh, what's this? Oh, restlessness. Isn't this interesting? You know, it's like uh, a scientist in a laboratory looking at something. Can you feel that? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different relationship. The allowing, the accepting, the receiving of, of the arisen phenomenon creates a decidedly different relationship with the states of mind that arise. You're not caught. And from that posture, you can look at it. So, wh- what do you notice? Um, there's a lot of things to be said about this, and um, certainly one could do a whole course, I think, just on this state, really go for a semester, <laughs> really, and just look at this state. But I wanted to pick uh, a few, zero in on a few that might be the more common or, or the more obvious for you. Uh, the first one that is one of the forms that it takes, or, or say, let's say what's at the heart of it, for many of us, is uh, memory, Mem- remembering things. And, you know, you're sitting here on your cushion, minding your own business, <laughs> and up pops this memory. And usually the ones that are, um, that really get our attention are the painful ones. So it might be moments when we did something, or, you know, embarrassing moments. I sat for a whole three-month retreat with this embarrassing moment coming up over and over and over again, just wanting my attention. It, it, painful memories could be things like, you know, people who have had difficult uh, experiences in their life, either currently or in the distant past, uh, difficult childhoods. You know, these, me- these memories come up constantly. You certainly see them when you're on the cushion, but they're actually behind a lot of what's going on in our daily lives. Um, things that you, you may have thought were over years ago. I mean, things that happened 20 years ago, right? And in a way, the, the mind is still trying to deal with it. It, it comes up, and it's, it's like these, these thoughts and these ideas that are saying, you know, hey, 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 remember me, you know, pay attention to me. And it, I, I experience it as, uh, it, it's almost like so much undigested food, you know, it's like the stuff that, that didn't get dealt with right or uh, isn't, uh, uh, you just haven't felt the pain of it or haven't seen deeply enough into it or, or something like that. But it, it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. 
It's like the, one of the teachers calls it the top 20 tunes, you know, the <laughs> same ones. You know them. Everybody knows their own. And it's the mind is still wrestling and still trying to, to cope with these things. Uh, I was telling somebody about um, many hours that I had um, spent in, in meditation at IMS. I was there for a long time uh, practicing. And there were times when memories would come up and, you know, painful things from the past where I would just uh, practice in my room for the solitude of it and just, you know, the whole body would be writhing with the pain of things and just sit on the cushion and or double over and wrap up in a fetal position and just cry and cry and cry and just let the you know the power of these memories emerge let the power and of the pain of past events emerge and i've really come to trust that in practice that it's not the kind of thing one wants to do necessarily in a hall like this but but um you know, I was telling um, Ajahn Suchito when I was there for the, the winter retreat recently that when I had a, a, a few weeks of solitary time for practice in the forest, I had a couple of these, you know? And sometimes they don't even have a name. It's not like it's even something that I actually consciously remember. It's more like energy that is just still wanting to... It's, it's in my body, it's in my heart, and it just wants to be felt, you know? And uh, I was telling him that I had a couple of those. And I, I cons- I've learned to consider it a good retreat you know, <laughs> if I have a couple of those. you know, Because uh, it, it seems to be important. I, I remember in, um, in the book, The Still Forest uh, Pool, there's a quote in there from Ajahn Chah where somebody was asking him about restlessness. And he said that, um, how did it go? It said something like, um, you know, go to your kuti and take a bunch of blankets and wrap yourself up in the middle of the floor in your kuti and just sit there. And if you do not, you, and he says, if you will have experiences of, of tremendous anguish and tremendous release, and tremendous anguish and tremendous release. And if you haven't had that, you haven't begun to practice. I thought that was very powerful, very powerful, just to, to get it to the heart of these energies. They're like, um, they're, they're like, you know, the kids pulling on mommy's coat, you know, mommy, 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 you know, something just wants to be remembered, felt, experienced. And, my own personal theory, I mean, I don't know that every teacher would agree with me on this, but my own personal theory on this is that if we could learn how to just experience what we're experiencing when we're experiencing it, you know, and give it its full expression at an emotional level, that a lot of this stuff wouldn't be sort of, it, it feels like it's stored. You know, I mean that's not exactly what it is, but it feels that way. And so, um, you know, if we could do that, that would be great. But then, you know, this stuff that we haven't done that with just keeps bubbling. And so I, I say, let it rip. You know, feel it. And um, 
it, it's not like every pain in our lives that we have ever felt has got to be refelt. It doesn't work like that. It's just more a case of allowing the full expression of things that arise enough so that you can trust the flow of physical, mental, emotional states enough to get insight into anicca, dukkha, anatta. You can't, we can't get those kinds of insights until we learn to trust the, the flow of what it is that we think we are. The thing about memory is we think, it, we think it's real. <laughs> you know? When you're remembering something, you can't, t- I mean, I don't know about you, but you can't tell me it's not happening right now, you know? But it isn't. The only thing that's happening right now is a thought in the present moment. But it, because of the way it operates, it gives you a sense of something back there, doesn't it? <laughs> It's like there's something out there, but you can't get to the insight at that level until you just let yourself feel it. So restlessness is one of the primary tools that the unawakened mind has for dealing with this stuff. <laughs> just be agitated and, and try not to feel it. Can you feel it? I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of restlessness is. Try not to feel it. And so this is, you know, suggesting uh, possibly another approach that maybe allowing it is the is the more fruitful path. And certainly with some uh, safeguards, some boundaries around it. You know, like I said, obviously you can't always do that sitting here in the hall, and it's not like every single sitting is going to be full of these kinds of energies, and you've got to work them through. You know, I find. It, it, it doesn't happen that often. But when I'm in the mood, <laughs> and sometimes I invite it, <laughs> and uh, just let it, let it work through. A lot of restlessness is the flip side of this, which is worry or anxiety about a future that we don't, haven't met yet. You know, which is, it's interesting, you know, it's a, it's the, it really is the flip side of this. It's the same kind of thing. It's an idea that arises about something that might happen, and it's not seen as a thought in the present moment, and so we get born into it, and then become restless and agitated in relation to it. And it's like the the unawakened mind can't see that it just made it up. (laughs) It, It just created the future, and created the reaction to it, and got completely consumed in it amazing, isn't it? But a lot of uh, restlessness and agitation is just that kind of thing. Um, the, the Buddhist teachings give it, there's a, there's a really great um, little packaging of one aspect of the teachings that's very helpful in this regard, and that's the teaching on the five aggregates, where the, the Buddha talks about the, the things that we cling to as being who we are but that we have to have sufficient insight into to recognize that they aren't who we are um, in order to develop some detachment and relation. And um, part of this teaching includes um, perception, and uh, which is like, uh, includes memories, and, um, and then of course what the mind does with things that arise in the mind, like ideas. 
So a perception includes like memories and ideas and views, uh, the, sort of the, the things that, that pop up into our heads and get held there. And then um, uh, mental formations are sort of what the mind does with that. So that's sort of like the plans and the ideas and the, and the worries and the anxieties. And uh, you know, you just begin to be to see this as so, as so much mental play. It's just something the mind does. It remembers, it plans, imagines, and then has emotional reactions to its own creations. <laughs> and that's the the state uh, where that's where restlessness comes in. It's a it's a reaction to. The, the mind's own creations. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go too, too, two more things. Um, one, another thing that we see restlessness and worry a lot I- in relation to is um, fears about um, doing the right thing, not getting it right, not being right, not being good enough, you know, all that, that energy that probably some of you are a little familiar with. <laughs> it's very common energy in the mind. We, we worry a, a lot about these kinds of things. Um, but the Buddhist teachings are, 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 are really trying to get us to understand in no uncertain terms that this is, well, there really isn't any right and wrong, you know? And this sense, this is all being born out of a misperception about what's happening. So that insufficient insight into um, the, the non-existence of self, of a somebody who has to get it right, who has to do it right, that has to be right, it, you know, is, is actually at the root of this. You know, so really, to, to get free of this, you have to get all the way down deep into that kind of insight. You know, but maybe, maybe at a at a uh, a more superficial level, um, it's enough just to reflect a little bit in our own lives. I think, at least, this has been true in my practice, that um, this is maybe at a more psychological level, very much associated with not having sufficient nurturing, not really being told or uh, cared for or educated in a way that says that whatever you do, you know, who you are is fine. You know, there's something very fundamental, I think, that's lacking in a lot of people's experience and certainly in a lot of our education. And I don't think it's mean-hearted. I don't think anybody is trying to create a population of people who have, don't have much self-concept, but that is, in fact, what we find ourselves in in this culture. And it's really good to reflect on this, because it's at the root of a lot of mental states that are just so, so useless, so senseless when you reflect on it. So I take that kind of thing into the meditation practice as well, and notice those times when what's driving my restless action is some sense of wanting to be approved of, or wanting to be liked, or wanting to do it right, or get it right, or something. 
I was talking to, to one of the nuns at uh, uh, Chithurst this winter about this, and she's, she's one of the most beautiful people I know. She is so wise. She is so sane and has a, a, a huge heart. She can hold you in whatever condition you're in, you know. She, it's not too much for her to love you in it and to, and to help you, you through it. And one-on-one, -on -one, her teaching is impeccable, you know. She's just per wonderful in these interviews and meetings talking about my practice. But, and, but she has this incredible fear of talking in a room like this. You know, that so much so that it paralyzes her, and she just can barely open her mouth. And so, like, she's working with this one, you know, she gets very agitated and anxious and, you know, that kind of can't even talk feeling. And, and so she's just really working with this to try to understand uh, who's out there, <laughs> you know. What is, the, what is the approval that I think I need and that the, I think these people are going to give me and that I'm not getting? Just this kind of, like, nurturing yourself. If you haven't been nurtured much in your own life, how do you learn to take your own hand, you know, if people haven't taken yours? Uh, and, and say, I, I can see that you're afraid. Let's, let's see what we can do together. <laughs> you know, me and my shadow. <laughs> that kind of feeling. And just face these things. Embrace these things. And certainly, there's a, a lot more to be said, but I do want to touch on, on one more of the um, main uh, sources of, of restlessness, which is um, a certain remorse over things that we've done. Uh, this is a very important part of the, of the Buddhist teachings, to understand remorse and guilt and um, what's going on in the mind with all of these. Certainly, you've probably seen this on a cushion um, in one form or another. I, I'm sure that nobody in this room has done serious harm, uh, committed any major crimes, but you sit down and you meditate and the kinds of things that come up will be the, the, the things we said that we wish we hadn't said that way, or maybe uh, the things that were said to us that we wish people hadn't said to us, you know? The, the little um, pains and discomforts that come from acts that aren't entirely skillful, aren't entirely wholesome. I know when I've meditated for a long time, I mean, it's like a marching band, you know? These things just come up one after the other. You know, this whole, the whole, your whole meditation experience can be nothing but these kinds of things. You know, I, I couldn't get, uh, one time I hit my sister over the head with a bat when we were little, you know. She struck me out at home plate, and that was my response. <laughs> and I cried and cried on this meditation retreat for the, the remembering that and the remorse, the, the pain. And so much so that when the retreat was over, I couldn't wait to call her and apologize, you know, to ask her forgiveness. You know, these are things, to me, she didn't even remember. These are things that other people don't even remember, but you remember. The heart knows, you know. Or um, I used to, um, one time when I was at the monastery, that I had a particularly hard time with the eight precepts, and 
I was in charge of the larder. And uh, so sometimes when I was in there at night getting things ready for the next day, I'd sneak a cookie or two, you know, which is breaking the precept. You're not supposed to do that. No, I'd sit and I just feel, I feel so awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like I had committed this horrible crime, you know, that, that pain over things done. So there's many, many more things I'm sure you can think of, of your own. But the distinction that needs to be made here is that um, in the Buddhist teachings, remorse is a very good thing. Now, now guilt, you know, if, if you go over something like this over and over and over again and, you know, get out the whip and the hair shirt and everything like that, then that's guilt <laughs> and, and you've gone too far. It's like not really recognizing the, the, the proper place of remorse. Buddha talked about um, these two uh, uh, <coughs> energies, if you will, called Hiri and Otapa, which are um, states that uh, Hiri is, is uh, often translated as moral shame, which is sort of the shame, the feeling that I had when I nicked the cookie, you know, the feeling that you have when you hit your sister over the head with a baseball bat, <laughs> you know. If you are if you're tuned in even a little bit, you, you will feel a pain very clearly whenever you behave in that way. Uh, and that, that's, that's the shame. And the, uh, the dread is sort of what comes as a result of that. Then it's sort of like, if you've let that in, then the chance that when, you, when there's the impulse to do that kind of thing again, you'll draw back, you know, there's like this, that's, that's moral dread, it's like, you know, it's, it's like this, I'm not going to go there, because you know what it feels like. And, and I point these out because I think uh, it's, it's one of the t- teachings that definitely points to our innate goodness. You know, the Buddha said in no uncertain terms that we are inherently good and kind, you know, can you feel that? It's beautiful. And it's a, it's a tremendous safeguard. So um, when it comes to restlessness and worry, uh, this is one of the best safeguards that we have. It prevents um, the experience of um, going into an agitated state, trying to get rid of something that we actually don't want to get rid of. You want to feel the pain of harm done to others, so that we learn not to do it again. You know, so that's, it's a very important part of the teachings. Let the pain of that in. That's, that's our safeguard, that's our protection. So we don't go there. Uh, just in closing, there's, there's certainly a, um, more, but uh, I, I wanted to, to make this note that um, sometimes you have to be aware that restlessness is just restlessness. <laughs> you know, there's a tendency to make it out to be this huge thing that is wrong with me and that I've got to somehow work with or investigate or name or embrace or love, you know, and that's important, that's all very important to do. Um, but sometimes it's, it, it doesn't really have a source, it doesn't really have 
um, and some deep meaning. It's like um, there's this there's a story about uh, that we use a lot to talk about karma, and you know the constant occurrence of restless states of mind is karma. It's a result of past actions, you know. Um, and this story is about the cows in the barn. Do you know about this? It's like if there's a. It's trying to explain how um, how uh, weighty and heavy states of, of um, uh, mind and heart uh, arise. So um, if you have a, a barn and it's full of cows, and you open the door, um, which cow will come out first? You know, that it said that the cow that is the strongest is going to be the one that, that was likely to come out first. So like the state of mind that is the strongest will come out first. So restlessness can be a state that is very, very strong. Uh, it's, it's for some people, it is the dominant state of mind. And so it's likely to be, be there a lot, you know. Um, if the strongest one doesn't come out, then the next one to come out will be the one that um, has a, a strong tendency to come out. Um, and that would be um, uh, like something that uh, maybe isn't your dominant state, but it's maybe your second most, you know, and it will come out frequently. And so, you know, you can uh, know that. Um, if, if it's not that one, then it's said that it's the one that's closest to the door. <laughs> so uh, that would be like, if you were just restless ten minutes ago, it's likely that you're going to be restless again now. You know? But it's, this, it's the last one that I think is, is important to reflect upon, too, um, which is that if none of those three come out, then <laughs> any cow can come out. It's anybody's ball game. And so it's like, it, it, sometimes I've experienced like, if I, those times when you get a little space in your mind, it's like, you know, there's this, there's this quiet. <laughs> it happens <coughs> occasionally. And it's almost like the unawakened mind abhors a vacuum, you know? And any time there's a little hole, you know, it's, it's like something is waiting to come up. And it, and it will arise. And under those conditions, it's like restlessness can come up, but it's not particularly in relation to anything. It's just a state of mind that uh, has, a, has a tendency, has a habit of coming up sometimes, and it will. And then it will go looking for things to be restless about. Do you know what I mean? It's like the reverse. It's not, it's not uh, it, the, the situation causing the restlessness. Sometimes restlessness comes up and starts to look for something to be restless about. So good to know, good to know. <laughs> yeah. So in, in working with these, uh, this particular state, um, ultimately, when you can work with some of the things that I've offered you tonight, the, the heart and the mind get a lot more calm in the face of whatever mind state arises. It's, it's, we don't, it doesn't matter. It's almost like you have the experience of, of just sitting back and relaxing and experiencing what goes on in the body, 
sensations in the body, experiencing what goes on in our emotional state, experiencing what goes on in the mental state, but it's like it's out here somewhere. It's not, it, it, it's not affecting us so directly. And from this posture, you can begin to get a sense of how it is that we suffer, because the suffering is the, the losing that posture in relationship to it. It's the grabbing hold of it. The suffering is also in not understanding and recognizing that the state moves. It just comes up and it passes through. If you can get some detachment from it, you get a very direct experience of what the Buddha said is the best remedy for restlessness, which is to wait it out. And if you can wait it out, you'll actually see it go. And then the deep insight into the impermanent nature of these states is possible. And sitting here in this detached perspective on it, you can begin to see that it isn't who you are. I mean, if, if you could manage it, if you could control it, which is implicit in it being who you are, surely you, wouldn't, you would do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, but it's not, it doesn't work like that, does it? But we can't see that un- until we experience it enough from a detached perspective to get some uh, insight into its selfless nature. So the, the psychological and emotional insights and the deeper uh, practice insights are possible. Just look at restlessness. (laughs) So I I offer these for for your uh, reflection. Hope they can be supportive in your practice. Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) So I I understand that if people want to leave now, they can, and then if people want to stay and have, we could have a little 15-minute question period or so. be a contradiction. There are the uh, disturbances that you observe and get distance from. Then there's uh, the story you tell about uh, uh, living through uh, an experience in solitude and uh, crying and Mm. being overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I puzzled between the distance on the one hand mm-hmm. and the engagement on the other. Yeah, good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think that the uh, allowing it, the the feeling of it, the letting it overtake us, is a necessary prerequisite to the detachment. It there can one can. Um, get into deep states of meditation and sort of bypass that emotional level. But I, my own experience in my own practice and certainly with the people that I've worked with is that, well, two things. First of all, that's rare. And um, second of all, if, um, if you do that, it doesn't necessarily uh, touch the emotional charge 
that's related to states. And then you come out of having deep insights from deep practice, and these uh, emotional, um, undigested food still has to be dealt with. Um, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm more fond of the, the gradual awakening <laughs> approach which allows me to be with things as they are when they're coming up. And if the way that they're coming up is a deeply wounded emotional state, then I want to do what I can to stay with that, to let it have its three seconds of fame, you know, <laughs> to let it have its way with me for a few moments so that, that the tenacity of the state can be, begin to be released. And then out of that, I find the, the, the second part more possible. That may not be true for everybody. That, that's just my, my experience. Uh, question stuck on that one. I, isn't it sort of when you get in those overwhelmed states, what really happens is that you move from the thinking about to the emotional experience and then through the emotion? Yeah. It, wait. And, and, and so you're really working with feeling. You're really working with feeling, and and feeling is um, feeling is the key to liberation, mm. if you ask me. It's <coughs> it's it's the state out of which the greed and hatred are born, mm-hmm. and so uh, it, you know, good feeling or happy feeling we want more of, and unhappy feeling we want less of. Yeah, and uh, so ha- you have to understand feeling. Yeah, and and um, experience to me, is the best teacher. This is a practice of direct experience. Yeah, yeah. Then my question was, um, when I notice that I'm particularly restless, and I label it as restlessness, it loses some power. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's like, you know, noticing and thinking, and it loses power. And I get a little more focused for a bit, and then it comes back. Yeah. So it, it's, it's more, you can deal with it just by naming it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you're speaking to also is um, um, sort of one of the side effects of practice, which is fabulous. It's like you develop patience. (laughs) 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 You know, these it, it, it does keep coming back, but each time that you're with it with even some semblance of detachment, you're weakening it, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just in the course of the practice, when a particular emotional state comes up, anger, fear, resentment, um, would you suggest that there's a skill of learn to when to, know, to go into that particular state and allow it to come on up, or when to sort of just be detached from it and just sort of let it go? Um, yeah. Um, You can't really fake detachment. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we, I, I think that we think we're being detached a lot of the times, but really we're being averse. You know, it's like there's a way that you, you really don't want it, and so you try to not feel the state. And so m- what I've found is that you have to begin to see the difference there. And if your sense of it is that, like, say you're really angry or agitated, and um, you're trying to actually enter into that, but you can't quite, because actually you're not, 
fully angry, what you are is hating the fact that you're angry, or um, imagining a state when you're not that way, or something. That's what has to be seen first. There's like this layer that has to be seen first. When, when that's gone, when you've learned, or when that's not there, or when, it hasn't a, when you've learned how to get free of that way of relating to it in a way that doesn't want it, you know, then the, the estate itself is freer to almost possess you, <laughs> to overtake you, and you'll know the difference. I mean, sometimes I've actually experienced it, like, you ever seen those sci-fi movies where an, an alien entity takes you over, takes over somebody, you know, it's like sitting there just minding their own business, and all of a sudden, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something just took them over. And that's how these mind states are. When you, when you can feel that and you start to have a, a sense of a physical feeling of it and the heart contracting, you know you're getting, it. You know you're getting close to it, closer to it. If it's heady, if it's up here, oh, I think I'll detach and I think I'll you know, work with it this way, then you can feel that too. I, I ex- it's almost tangible sensation to me. I feel it over here. You know, it's like there's something going on over here, but it's not here. You know? So you're suggesting that you know, um, what I'm saying is detachment, or perhaps what other people consider detachment, is actually aversion. It could be. I, I, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but um, that's where my mind went. I was just sort of getting that, that sense of... Um, often I hear people say, oh, we just detach from it, you know? Uh, I'm suspicious of that, you know, because it's, uh, it's false. It's coming from an idea of detachment rather than the experience of it. And uh, not to say that, that that's good enough to start, but you want to you learn more about what the actual experience of detachment is so you know how to uh, relate in that way. It's subtle. Stuff. It's subtle. <laughs> Very subtle, yeah. Sorry, there was someone. Okay, um, when you talked about um, like like you know, love and war and, and learning to mm. um, accept your worry or your restlessness, um, I think that's a real a real tough number because for me at least because um, I I think oh well I've got to worry more than the average person. I mean, you know, I can, I can't, I could see loving it like, oh, everybody has this. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, how do you, how do you get around that, like, you know, bashing yourself over? I, I guess, I mean, I, yeah. I feel like I've gotten better over the years, but it's still, it's still hard. Yeah. So, what, what would you, what words, what words did you have around that? Um. Well, a couple of things. That one thing that comes to mind, it, it was actually a tremendous help to me with this particular mind state to learn that this is the last one to go. That it doesn't, it's not uprooted until our huntship of the five. It's, it's, it's more tenacious than greed and hatred. Even after greed and hatred are uprooted, the mind is still not resting. That's fascinating, isn't it? And, uh, and I guess, I mean, I, you could hear that and go, oh, shoot, you know? Or, 
Or you could go, oh, I, you know, and uh, I don't know, something changed for me when I felt that because it was like, well, this is going to be around a long time. Let me just get used to it. And there was a softening that began in relation to it. It's like to stop thinking of myself or, or holding myself in a way that expects or anticipates certain behaviors that I'm not exhibiting. You know? I'm just not... I'm, um, I'm ignorant. You know? I'm deluded. And I don't behave that way. You know? It's so, let me just get... Let me just get a certain um, acceptance in my heart about it. And actually, I mean, that sounds crazy, but it has free, it's so freeing to just drop the, you know, let the cat out of the bag, drop the, <laughs> drop the facade. It's like, oh, whew, I can relax. I'm a jerk, you know? <laughs> I find that very helpful. <laughs> and, and you find that, you know, the people that you can talk to like that become infinitely more important to you. The ones who say, well, just attach. You know, it's like, oh, give me a break, you know? Who can do that? And can you feel the loving heart in that? That's, you know, you get more compassionate towards yourself, towards your states of mind, towards other people and theirs. It's like there's room for all of it. The heart can hold it all. It's not who we are anyway, but we don't know that yet. So you have to find a way to endure it while we're still ignorant, you know? I don't know if that's helpful. That's sort of getting at what you're asking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you get to the point where you're like, oh, maybe I'm not so ignorant after all? I mean, do you ever get that point yeah. where you're feeling like that? Yeah. In fact, I was talking about this the other night at the, at the retreat in, uh, at IMS, and um, it, it, it occurred to me a, a while back that one thing that, w- that was very, very helpful for me in my own practice is to really contemplate the extent of my ignorance to really contemplate that and let that in. And I say that, you know, seriously, because um, right in that place where I can accept, I mean, I, I, I can feel, you know, how, I don't care how many times I think about wanting to do a certain thing or be a certain way, when it comes to doing it, I don't do it, you know? And that is over and over and over and over again. And that's even with as much practice as we do. You know, it's hard. This, is, this isn't easy. But making peace with that moment, making peace with um, the extent of my delusion, has actually brought a place in my heart that is getting so open and receptive that in that place, there isn't any problem anymore. There's less and less a problem. And interestingly, right there, right there is where you want to be, as much as you can. Uh, And right there is the place where the deep knowing is possible. If you can feel that. Because you can, you can see much more deeply into the true nature of things if you're not fighting or indulging. You just make peace with life. And that means literally making peace with our own 
states of mind. What's your karma? What do you have? What's your particular packaging? You know, can it be okay? Can you make peace with it? One more, maybe. Thank you. Hard to imagine what the purified mind is like. I mean, you know, really, (laughs) hard to imagine. Um, It's one of four things that the Buddha called the four imponderables. In fact, he said, don't even think about it. (laughs) You can't, it's beyond our imagining, you know. But in the meantime, I mean, part, I think a subtext of your question is, well, what about thought and what about memory? I mean, do you stop remembering? Do you stop planning? No. I think what happens is that these things that constitute the body and mind get turned more and more in the interest, in the direction of freedom. So that, you know, like um, uh, gave a wonderful talk uh, last week about thinking. You know, because a lot of us have the idea that meditation means don't think. And um, really, what happens, rather what happens, is that uh, you learn to use thought in a way that is supportive. It's like the thinking mind is a very useful tool uh, and support for practice. And And you should think, and you will think, and it's always thinking anyway, so give it something useful to think about, so that, uh, you know, memory, for example, is helpful. You remember things you hear in Dhamma talks or things you read, and, and they come, and they're right there when you need them. You remember that you took the five precepts and you didn't want to behave a certain way, and it's right there to help you when you're about to behave that way, you know. Uh, planning or, you know, aspiration, the, uh, the spiritual urgency that drives us to practice is, is a form of planning. So basically what happens is that these things that the mind does get purified and, and move in the direction of freedom instead of away from it. Yeah. Do, are you okay? Do you want to have a few, one or two more? Or? I, I don't know how long you stay. How long do they stay? Okay. If you want, if you, two more questions, okay. Udacha Kukucha. Hmm. 
And there was somebody over Yeah. Well, it might not be a suffering thing for you, and it might actually it might not be restlessness. I mean, to, you can do a lot and have a lot of things on irons on the fire and not have it becoming from a restless mind. So, I mean, I would examine that and see if that's in fact. You don't want to put everything into this package. But um, a lot, uh, uh, having said that, I'll say this, a lot of the times that um, the doing, the constant doing, um, it doesn't get examined as to what's driving that. And, um, you know, there could be very um, uh, painful states at the heart of it that are being missed. And I, I think it's worth looking at to see if, uh, in fact, any of that's true. It isn't necessarily going to change the fact of, uh, that you accomplish a lot to examine those. You know, I, I, I don't see that those as being the same thing. Yeah. So, shall we have some tea? Oh, you can come up and ask me. I, think, I, I don't want to hold people too, too long. We'll have some tea, and thank you again. Good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.